Good afternoon. Happy Sabbath. It's been a blessing to be here today. Pro Musica, you did it again. I thought I had gotten it all in my system, and then you did it again. Hmm. I want to thank your pastor, Tara Vincross, um, and for every person who has been part of the hospitality team, who greeted me, directed me, made sure I've had water, that my battery pack is right. Thank you. Uh, I love your pastor dearly, respect her a lot, and um, I'm just thankful. I can't believe it's been seven years that you have been in California. Wow. It's a lot of time. But seven is a great number, huh? So let's see what God will do. Would you turn in your Bibles with me or whatever you read your Bibles on to Exodus chapter 15? And I want to take the time that I have with you to lead you through a passage of scripture or a part of the Bible that gives meaning to our time together on this Black History Sabbath. And when you found it, would you stand to your feet? Exodus chapter 15, verses 2 and 3 are what I gave, but I'll be reading verses 1 through 3. We've been sitting for a while, so as soon as you find the text, please join me in standing to your feet as we will read the Word of God. If you need a little time, say, hold on. All right, we're holding on. Thank you. Exodus 15, I'm reading from the newest American Standard Bible, and it reads, Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pray with me. Gracious God, we come again asking for the outpouring of your spirit. We have experienced you this morning, and we are wanting more, because if we don't have more of you, we will not be able to survive or navigate these San Bernardino streets in 2023. And you tell us that if we ask, you will give. And so we have come asking for your presence, your power, your strength, your comfort. Pour yourself out in us today and make our hearts ready, not only to receive, but to do what you've called us to do in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I forgot to do something in the first service. I need to do it now. Pastor Tara, you have a family up in the um, Napa area, the Tomas. Uh, they used to come here, but they moved. And so, Melissa, there's your shout out, because she knew I was coming. <laughs> so even though she's not here anymore, she was like, you're going to be at Azure. Please say hi. And I also want to extend my condolences to the Ferguson family. Um, really, truly moved this morning to learn of Kevin's passing. I had the privilege of doing CPE with him. And so I know that I mourn with you as well as celebrate Erwin's life with you today. It's, it's, it's grown-up stuff, right? This is, this is what it means to be an adult, to sit in those sp in-between spaces of both sorrow and joy. Good to see you, Mitchells, the whole crew. Nostalgia. Nostalgia 
is something that almost everyone in this room is familiar with. One definition of nostalgia is the sense of wistful remembrance of something in the past. For those of you who have who've lived a little bit, when you think about nostalgia, we think about experiences that have happened and things that help us to remember those experiences, right? For some of us, it's the smell of food or the smell of perfume. But for many of us, it's probably music. We hear certain songs played and we like, hey, right? We get, no, no, yellow, yellow, okay. <laughs> All right, I'm just checking. But music becomes this soundtrack. Hey, you, I just realized it's you. I knew it was you, but I didn't realize it was you. Mwah. Good to see you, sorry. Um, all my students become grown-ups and then I get caught up in it, sorry. Um, so music has become a soundtrack for so many memories and experiences in our lives. And nostalgia is our remembrance of something in the past which is wistful, not always holding on to all the elements of it. Because the way God made our brains, so often for us, when we go through experiences that are challenging, even traumatic, our brains will shape and reshape the way we remember that moment or that experience. And so this morning, as we reflect on the theme, Freedom Songs, Thriving in a Strange Land, I want to ask you to go back with me to the book of Exodus. We read chapter 15, but I want us to go to the beginning of Exodus and work our way to what we just heard Moses declare. And we didn't read the whole chapter of Exodus 15, but in the very beginning we recognize that this is a song of joy. This is a song of praise. And the reason Moses and Israel is exalting and praising God is because they just saw God do something impossible. And they're the recipients of God's good grace. And they have memorialized this experience by articulating it in a song. Exodus chapter 1 begins, and we are learning of the experience of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, also called Israel. You remember the story from Genesis how Jacob, the brother who stole his brother's birthright, even though it belonged to him from the beginning, had to run away from home and live with his cousins and them and got him two whole wives, one he really, really loved and the other one he just took because he had to. But that's a whole other sermon for another day. This is the same Jacob who fathers multiple children, 12 sons and at least one daughter, between the two wives that he has and the two additional wives that he gains help somebody. And it is the wife that he really, really loves, her first um, son uh, who gets sent down into Egypt after he had been given a dream by God of what was to come, that son named Joseph, who Israel thought was dead. And then they find out in the fullness of God's time that that boy was alive and second in a command in Egypt. Y'all remember that, that story? And so when we find ourselves here in Exodus chapter 1, we see how the, the writers want us to remember who these people are, where they come from, who their family is, the lineage. And if you go through scripture over and over again, they're always telling us 
The great person we want to remember is Abraham because God made a covenant with Abraham, right? And you go, it's over and over again. So then we get to verse 8 of chapter 1. It says, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Hello, somebody. This is, this, the plot's about to get thick. When Jacob, Israel, moves into Egypt, he does so because of a famine in the land. When he does this, his son is second in command. When he does this, he comes into, the, the descendants come into the land with a pharaoh who sees Joseph's kin as an asset to partner with. Because the pharaoh had benefited from Joseph's allegiance to God, benefited from Joseph's wisdom. So this pharaoh sees Joseph and all his family and says, listen, y'all can move into Goshen. Y'all can take care of them goats. It's a win-win for me. My people don't want to do that work. Your people want to do that work. Here we go. We'll take care of you. But when you see in verse 8 that a new king arose who did not know Joseph, we should know that something changes. This second pharaoh saw the Hebrews, because he doesn't see them as the descendants of Joseph, as an asset to profit from, not an asset to partner with. So when we come to Moses on this Sabbath morning, I want to remind you that Moses is an immigrant, that he has been descended from Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob, also Israel, his parents are Amram and Jochebed. He's the third child born to them. And he has an older brother and sister named Aaron and Miriam. And he is born at a time when this same Pharaoh has decided that in order to benefit from the people who were in his land, he would keep the girls alive, but he would annihilate the boys by genocide. Miriam and her mom worked together to put Joseph in a basket and put him on the Nile River, just around the place where Pharaoh's daughter might just perhaps maybe come take a bath. And she sees this little Hebrew boy and takes him home. Can you imagine that conversation? Why you brought this boy home? You know we're trying to take her. But daddy, can he stay? And so Moses benefits from the generosity of this woman who has power, who decides to speak on his behalf. I'm going to leave that right there. Y'all going to get that next week. Moses grows up with a dual identity. He lives as Pharaoh's adopted son while observing his kinfolk toiling to increase the, com the commercial assets of Egypt. He sees his people benefiting on their backs the growth of the wealth of the nation while he, while his people don't get it. So I want you to imagine what it's like to live this dual identity for, Joseph, for, for, for Moses. One day he observes some problems between an Egyptian and one of his kinfolk, and he throws hands. And at the end of that, someone is dead. And he realizes, I can't stay here because my actions have now revealed which side I'm on. And so he flees into Midian. And the scriptures tell us that for 40 years, Moses is there until God calls him to go be an emancipator for his people. And Moses is like, you want me 
as Yvonne Orji. Any Nigerians in the house? Yvonne Orji would say, a whole me. You want me to go back and speak to Pharaoh? God, you're confused. And what I love about Moses' interaction with God at that burning bush is the fact that Moses resists and God keeps wooing him. Some of you in this room, you don't talk to God anymore because you've been hurt by some things that have happened in your life. Some of you in this room are mad at God because he won't give you what you asked him for because you don't realize that what God is withholding from you is for your own good. I want to invite you to keep talking to God like Moses did. Keep talking to God because God wants to talk to you. By the time the conversation is over, Moses is going to do what God told him to do, and he's doing it with his brother Aaron, who will be his mouthpiece, so to speak. And so Moses goes back to Egypt and tells Pharaoh, my God says to tell you, let my people go so they can worship me in the desert. And, you know, Pharaoh's like, who is your God? What are you talking about? You know I'm God. You know I represent God. Do you not see the power that I have? And Moses then proclaims 10 utterances, 10 confrontations that prove who God really is. So when we get to Exodus chapter 15, all of Israel and all of Egypt have come to understand that the God that Moses speaks about is more powerful, is mightier than the God king, the God Pharaoh, who tried to restrict his people. They flee after the Passover, and when they flee, Pharaoh and them are coming to get them. God shows up as a pillar of fire between their enemies, between their oppressors, between those who held their personhood and their freedom, and God makes a way, and they are free. Why do I go to Moses on this morning when we talk about freedom songs in Black History Month? I go to Moses because for so many people around this planet who have experienced the clash of power and, and money, they have turned to scripture and this particular story to give them hope. I happen to be descended from such a people group. I identify as an Afro-Caribbean American woman. I am the fourth woman on my mother's side from enslavement on my island. Four generations ago, one of mine, did not have authority or power over her life. I stand here as a result of persons who sang the songs the young people sang today because that was their journey and their story, and it was their path to freedom. I stand here this morning sharing this story with you because I am so aware that not only have people who've been descended from Africans had to lean into Moses' story, but all of us who have experienced the partnership and the marriage between money and power have somehow or the other been touched by this preference and this profiting off of humanity versus what God has called us to do, which is to love our neighbors as ourselves. I remember growing up in the Caribbean learning the story of what it meant to be black. And living in 2023 in these American streets, I'm so confused. I'm confused about why we won't let people tell their stories. I'm so confused about why we want to change the stories of other folk. 
And who gets to make the decision about what that story looks like? It's my story. I lived that story. The problem, though, with remembering the stories of Moses and even the stories of those of us who have descended from people who were either enslaved or colonized is that word nostalgia again. Because when we look back on the story, we, we want to leave out the good parts. And my message is a little bit different for the second crew because I'm looking around the room and I think y'all can handle it. When we do not tell our children our stories, when they are confronted with the story, they do not know what to do. We are living in a post-Christian world. Some of you have just caught up to the fact that we're living in a post-modern time. I just want to add the post-Christian so you understand that when you and I are engaging with people, do not make the assumption that the Christian worldview is what guides their choices in life. As a matter of fact, we live at a time because of postmodernism where all truths are contested. People don't believe just because you said so. So the power and authority that the Christian church used to have is now being contested. And I'm here for all of it. You know why? Ask me why. Because we need to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We have to talk about the complicity of people who follow Jesus in the colonizing and enslavement of people. We have to talk about it. Because if we do not talk about it, then what are the songs about? Why are we doing this? If we can't tell the truth that we got it wrong, that we were silent when we should have spoken up. That some of us, like Moses, wanted to throw hands. I remember, I remember in Baruch College, circa 1990-ish, wait, 85, yeah, no, not 90, maybe earlier, my math is off. But I remember when South African apartheid was, was, was in the news everywhere, and we were trying to figure out, what are we gonna do? And folk were like, well, let's just divest. I remember sitting in my Bible class saying to one of my friends, I think I want to go take up arms. And you can judge me. I'm fine with you judging me. Because I got Moses <laughs> as my brother. Moses took up arms and he had to run. And it was my friend who grew up in Jamaica like me who learned the same stories I learned about enslavement and freedom and colonization who turned to me and said, girl, you can't take up no gun. What's wrong with you? And he was getting ready to go to South Africa as a missionary that summer. And that's what he did. Well, I was talked out of it, Tara, because the truth of the matter is, I really, I like to talk like a fighter. <laughs> I often feel like I want to fight people. But the Holy Spirit has held me and continues to hold me. But I understand Moses. I understand the story. I understand. I understand what it's like to be in a situation where it seems as if power wins, where evil wins, where we have no power. And for the parents in the room who are immigrants or descended from immigrants, tell your children and your grandchildren, tell them your story. Tell them the story especially if they're Christians. Why? 
because the world as we know it is not our home. This is not what God started in the Garden of Eden. And when we don't tell our children the stories, they will give up. Like some of us are tempted to give up because we just don't understand what in the world is going on. When we don't tell our stories, we repeat the same things over and over again and call it good. And we justify it and we say, this is, well, this is what happened. What happened was, I mean, but if we tell the story, we make different choices. So I remembered growing up in my little country, Jamaica. I thought it was so big, Linda. It's like, Aww. I lived in the city. My grandparents lived in the country. I thought I was special. I went to visit my grandmother's house, and they would clean the floors past the tarot with coconut brushes, right? And I would get on my knees, and I was, anybody know what I'm talking about? And you get on the ground, and we would shine those little wooden floors. Oh, the little Kingston, the little, the little city girl was super nostalgic about it. I'd go home, tell my mom. She was like, oh, really? That's fun for you. <laughs> so that wasn't her testimony. Nostalgia. So when I think about the experiences, right, I, I have a completely different one because I didn't have to live it. I didn't know. But the reason I stand here today is because my mother told me. And her mother told her. And that is why I know who I'm descended from, especially as a black woman who does not know her tribe. And for some of you in this room, it doesn't really matter because you can trace the village where you come from. Some of you immigrants, you know what I'm talking about. You can go back home and you got a village that you can go to. Yes? No? Talk to me. But I don't. I do not know, and I haven't done the 23andMe thing yet. I'm going to do it. But I don't. And when you don't know who you are, when you are displaced, you travel the world with this dual identity. Had it not been for this Middle Eastern rabbi named Jesus, I don't know how I would have made it. And notice I locate him as Middle Eastern. Not white Jesus. Not plantation Jesus. There's a whole book on it. Look it up. Not the Jesus who could tolerate people being enslaved and called less than to benefit money and power. I want to get us to the songs. How do we thrive, Azure Hills? How do we thrive when there is injustice all around us? Do we pretend that injustice is not happening? Do we act like it's somebody else's issue? How do we thrive when last night in San Bernardino County, children were trafficked while we slept? How do we thrive when there are children who are showing up to school and do not have the same access that our children do. How do we thrive when people cannot afford to buy food? Can you afford to buy food? Because I've been to the grocery store. I have a whole job. Two people in my house work. And I go to the store sometimes. My husband's the one who does all the shopping. Amen. Praise the Lord. He buys the groceries. And when he comes home and says, we can't have eggs, I saw you clutch. You're like, what? No eggs. And we have work. Many of us are coming out of two-income families. So what are we doing about, what about the folks who don't have it? What about all the immigrant folk who are picking our fruit? 
How do we, how do we thrive, the remnant? How do we thrive? I'll tell you how I'm making it. The songs of redemption. Those freedom songs. My first freedom song, you might know it, I want you to sing it with me. It goes like this. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come into this. call that my freedom song. Because growing up in a space where I could only go to church, school, and the library, that was my mother's rules, living in a space where I saw the consequences of people's choices, my relationship with Jesus Christ became the source of my navigation through the challenges around me. I remember learning that song in the children's Bible club. The person who led the Bible club, we used to call him Uncle Clive. I would show up there every single week, Marcus, and I would sing the song over and over and over and over again. And you know, because we're really good at that age, we're always talking about children, you need to do right. Don't tell lies. Be kind to your parents. So every week I was going, into my heart. <laughs> Come into my heart. Because I had issues. <laughs> there were things going on. But I'm so thankful that Jesus heard that song because that was, one of, that was my first freedom song. As I continue to mature and go through life, and one of these days I'll come and I'll share with you what my research is in because then you'll understand what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about what it means to be enslaved while you're sitting in church, what it means to be silenced because of the wounds you carry, what it means when you don't tell all your story. People don't understand why you're showing up the way you do. But thankfully, because of this Jesus, this Middle Eastern rabbi, the one who showed up in the wilderness to the children of Israel as a pillar of fire and cloud, this same Jesus met me on my grandmother's hillside. This same Jesus met me in my house in Kingston and let me know that he knew who I was and that I was meant for more. So that was my first freedom song. I, I grew up listening to and hearing songs by older folk, and one in particular, this guy, you might have heard of him, Bob Marley, and he had a song called Redemption Song, and I, I remembered hearing the words, emancipate yourself from mental slavery because none but ourselves can free our minds. Have no fear of atomic energy because none of them can stop the time. How long shall they kill our prophets while we stand aside and look? They say we're just a part of it, but we've got to fulfill the book. Won't you help me sing these songs of freedom. What are you talking about, Bob? When I'm a child, I don't understand, but the older I get and I look and I see, new year, same foolishness. We're living under systems that are focused on how do we make profit off of people and we don't see people as people. So how do we navigate? We who have met this Middle Eastern rabbi, Jesus, I say, tell your story. Don't let anybody tell you that your story isn't valid. Tell your story and listen to other people's stories too. My first white friend. You understand. 
I became an Adventist in New York. Everybody I knew that was Adventist was black. See, all you Californians, you all know what I'm talking about. Because you're like, look at us, we are the world. <laughs> we are the people. You look, you look around, you're like, what is she talking about? Go east. Go south. Listen to the history of Adventism. Learn about the black woman in New York, in, in Maryland, who died because she could not go to an Adventist hospital because she was black. Back then she was considered colored. We got to know the stories, y'all. And so, um, where, did I, where did I go? Why did I say that? My first white friend, thank you very much. Her name is Jean Marie. We met at AUC, summer of 1997. I wasn't trying to make new friends, but she wanted to be my friend. Funny thing is I saw her at a concert because she was the only white woman singing with the New York State Haitian Interdenominational Mass Choir. She stood out to me because everybody in the room looked like me. And I couldn't understand how this white woman got caught. I'm like, Jesus, why is she here? Why? I'm like, how? And she was an usher. And then I saw her on the choir, Sally Fepamwam, see Sally Fepamwam. I said, do y'all see what I see? And they were like, yes. And the Lord had me meet her in AUCs in Massachusetts, summer of 1997. And I see the time, and I'm going to move quickly. And she befriended me. And we had the most challenging and life-changing conversation ever. Because she shared with me that as a white woman who was Italian and Irish, who grew up Catholic, somehow the Lord brought her into the Adventist church, upstate New York. And in upstate New York, the churches were all white. And most of the people in there were older, and there were no young people. Because she was a teacher for the Adventist school system, she landed in New York City. And she looked up a church, and she ain't know that we had black and white conferences, so she found a church in the Bronx. Somebody got that? The Bronx. And so she shows up on Sabbath morning, and there's only black people. And the, the greeter at the door was like, come here, hello, and gave her a big old hug. And she said these words. She said, I love going to church, black church, except for Black History Month. I said, what? She said, yeah, because I didn't own any slaves and nobody in my family owned slaves. And I remember looking at her going, that is interesting, because I had never thought about it from someone else's perspective before. Because for me as a black woman, who's black 365 days of the year, I carry my history with me year long, see? See, see, see how that works? All year long, I'm black, hey. <laughs> but in the black church, Black History Month becomes this place of celebration, a place of remembrance, not nostalgia, but talking about who we come from and where we come from and why we sing the songs we sing and why we're here. So when she said to me that she didn't like coming because it made her feel uncomfortable, I was like, oh, oh, okay. I could, I could see how that would be problematic for you. But that began a friendship that has not ended. Like, she loves when I call her my first white friend. She, she's like, you should, every time, just, talk, just set, tell them about how you didn't want to be my friend. <laughs> and she and I began having these conversations, Pastor Tara, about how our, ex our lived experiences were so different. That I could go to Macy's and she could go to Macy's and they would follow me around, but they wouldn't follow her. And she would say, Dillis, you're just over-exaggerating. Over I'm like, okay. Do you want to test it? 
Because what she was doing was telling me that because it wasn't her experience, then my experience couldn't be true. And isn't that the danger we have today, friends? The danger we have today is that when people are telling us their stories, whatever the marginalized group is, we tell them, no, 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 you misunderstood. Why do you want us to not tell our experience? Because it makes us feel uncomfortable. And we don't want to feel uncomfortable. Yet, if we're not uncomfortable, change can't happen. And so my friend Jean Marie, because she's my friend, I love her to death. We were supposed to learn Spanish together. We were supposed to go visit churches on Sabbath, and then she did it, I didn't. So she's fluent in Spanish, married her a whole Latino, got two of the most beautiful little boys, one who looks like her Irish Catholic, not Catholic, her Irish Italian background, and the other one who looks like a Latino. So it's, I'm like, I can't wait for the conversations about how they're navigating life. Because what they look like will shape the way people deal with them. Their last names, until they see their mama, right? Because if they see her, they might go, oh, what? But we cannot pretend that our lives together on this planet Earth is not shaped by the pharaohs, like Moses' situation, who want to profit off of racism, sexism, homophobia, class, list them all while Jesus has come to give us something different. So we get new songs. So my first freedom song was Into My Heart. And for you and me, I don't know when you met Jesus, but I'm hoping you remember your freedom songs. And I'm hoping that you're gonna be willing to actually engage with the people who make you feel uncomfortable because the stories they tell chip away or completely shatter your worldview because that's what Jesus did. The Bible tells in the fullness of time, the one who led by cloud and by fire came into this earth, put on dust, put on flesh, was born of a woman. Can you imagine? The God who spoke things into being became one of us. Actually ended up in Egypt too because they were trying to kill him. When you read the scriptures, friends, you go back, you see the lines just drawn out. Jesus flees to Egypt to avoid the king who wanted to take his life. Isn't it crazy how the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had in their storyline the genocide of a peep of their own people, would allow another king who was their own people to do the same thing to them again? Because you know what happens when you're oppressed and you become the person in power? If you don't find a new way, you will be like the oppressor. This Jesus survives the genocide. This Jesus goes back home and he travels and he teaches and then he dies on a cross. This Jesus who is attached to the lineage of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, Isaac and Jacob, through his death on a cross, allows every single one of you under the sound of my voice to be part of the lineage of God, to be grafted in because of his shed blood. God's plan had always been that we would be a part of it. But sin and humanity always strives to pull us apart from God. And I'm wondering, Azure Hills, what are your freedom songs? What are the songs you are singing right now that are holding you together, holding you to God? I know y'all want Jesus to come. I know it. If you're not a good Adventist, you wouldn't. Lord, can you come any moment, but who is he coming for? It can't just be me and mine. It has to be every person who's made in the image of God. 
You and I live with dual identities just like Moses did. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. You and I have dual identities that we live with. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. And I submit to you today that if you have the word in your heart and you have the songs on your lips, that just like my ancestor did in this particular nation, they could sing songs that encouraged them that one of these days they were going to walk all over God's heaven, that soon they'd be done with the troubles of this world, that they were not going to allow the people who claim to own them to actually own them. You and I are also called on this February 11th, 2023 to say to the gods of this world and the systems of this world, you don't own me. I belong to Jesus. So we need to remember by telling our stories, all of them, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We need to listen to other people's songs. Sit with them. Walk with them through it. And then because of Jesus, let's write some new songs. To sustain us while we wait for this earth to be remade. Because while I long for the second coming of Jesus Christ, as Adventists, we spend a lot of time, like a lot of Christians, focusing on being in heaven. I'm past heaven. I'm post heaven. You know what I'm looking for? The earth made new. I know that some of y'all will be like, we're trying to go to heaven. God bless you. Heaven for me is just a way stop. I'm trying to get back to this planet. I'm talking about this good, good planet where we will be singing songs, the Bible says, of Moses and the Lamb. Revelation 15 takes us back to the freedom songs. When we're going to sing the song that says there was an enemy who thought he could take us out, but where is he now? And let me tell you, that song, Because I'm Black, sounds different than your song. That song for me, Because I'm Descended from African Peoples, is going to have me dancing. You don't have to dance. My sister, they don't have to dance with us. But we will dance. That song is going to be a song that gives glory and honor to a God who loved us so much that he became one of us, that he fought the pharaohs of this world and said, uh-uh, no more, to redeem all of us. And do you know what we have to do to deserve that? Do you know how we earn that? By saying thank you. That's it. It's just accepting it. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. So currently, I thought I was going to make it without crying. As I look at the news and I see Syria and Turkey. And I know that we have been firing bombs for years in the Middle East. I know that we have had embargoes and we don't send resources. And I look how flimsy those homes are. And I sit here, and I'm like, God, this is not you. When I hear all the lines that we keep drawing to keep people out, I go, God, this isn't you. This is not the good, good God that I serve. 
when the war started last February, last February, the war in Ukraine started last February. I remember I've been kneeling by the side of my bed and I'm going, God, what on earth? And you know what I've been praying? Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he says to me, yeah, I will. You have a part to play. I have a part to play. And we pray and we give and we resist by singing the songs of freedom. My current song goes something like this. I love you, Lord. Oh, I pitched it the right key this time. Caught that? See that? No, maybe? No, I didn't. Then I lost it. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days on the moment in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. I'm wondering if you, like me, recognize that it's not okay for me just to have that song. It's not enough for me to be able to testify about how good God has been. Not when I know that there are people who have not experienced that goodness of God, and instead what they've experienced is Christian people like me, who have been silent. You know, I've had people, when I speak to students now, I don't assume they know Jesus. I say, you might be wondering why I, a black woman, would follow Jesus. Because I want to name for them the incongruity of that. That someone whose descendants were enslaved and Christianity was used to justify it still believes. I believe because I met him. And I know him for myself and I know that he is not that God that he is a God of grace, that he is a God of love, that he is patient because he puts up with my foolishness. And I want other people to know him too. So as we wait for the second coming, as we long, young people, let me tell you what I tell my children. You cannot go and be a follower of Christ based on your parents' faith. You have to know him for yourself. And your parents are going to be uncomfortable with the ways you will learn about him. You too have been called, not just to sing the songs, but to live it out. All of us can testify of God's faithfulness, can't we? All of us can sing these songs, but my challenge to you, Azure Hills, as you continue past Black History Month, is to be the kinds of people who share stories, listen to stories, share your freedom songs, Listen to other people's freedom songs and then write new songs so that we could sing. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the
are in this house this morning because we have come to know Jesus. We have met him in different places, different cultures, different times, and you have sustained us just as you sustained the children of Israel as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Jesus, you hung with them. You hung with us through the ages, and then you showed up in flesh, and you told us, here I am, the way, the truth, and the life. Here I am, the bread of life. Here I am, the water that you can drink of when you're thirsty. And you left us the spirit we need your spirit now, God, so that we can be the kinds of people who sing freedom songs that allow others to thrive just as we are thriving. And God, there are people under the sound of my voice who aren't thriving. They're struggling. (laughs) It's real. They're frustrated. They're sad. They're lonely. They're anxious. So God, I hope and I trust that you will meet each of them where they are. And if they can't sing, may we sing over them. May we sing for them. May we sing with them until they too can sing. And may we leave this place willing to be a part of someone else's story. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.